You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Genesis chapter 49, verses 1 and 2. Jacob calls his sons to his deathbed. Having spoken to Joseph privately and adopting his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, into the family of Israel on equal footing with his other sons, Jacob now summons the rest of his sons to his deathbed and asks them to gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. So this shows he understood that he was not just blessing his sons because he wished them well, uh, but that the words he'd speak over them were prophetic of the future of their descendants. Their futures were based on the characters of the representatives of the tribes. He also reminded them that they were the children of Israel. Verses 3 and 4, Reuben. He begins as he should with Reuben, who was the eldest. But this blessing is closer to a curse. While he should have been the de facto leader of the family after his father's passing, he was bypassed because of a sin Jacob had not forgotten nor forgiven. He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel, for you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. So the trespass was that he slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah. We are not told what his reason was, whether a power grab, as such an action represented, or mere lust. Jacob heard about it and was angry, but as was his pattern of failure as a parent, he did not act at the time. We also are never told if they talked about it or if Reuben ever apologized. All we know is that he tried unsuccessfully to undo it by getting back into his father's good books again. So when the brothers planned to kill Joseph, he suggested they throw him into a pit instead with the intention that he'd rescue Joseph and return him safely to his father. And the second incident was when they had to go to Egypt. In order to try to convince his father to release Benjamin into their care, he foolishly offered that Jacob could kill his two sons if he didn't return him to his father safe and sound. So Jacob doesn't even respond to this ridiculous offer. So now, at the end of his life, Jacob reminds him of what he'd done, registers his outrage at Reuben's actions, calls him unstable and turbulent as the waters, and condemns him to no longer excel. And you see why it is more of a curse. It's likely the other brothers knew about it already, but if not, it's common knowledge now. And if we don't want the shame of hearing our sins broadcasted to others, we would be wise to avoid them in the first place. So his actions led to the consequence that he lost his birthright. In First Chronicles 5.1, it says, Um, The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was the firstborn, but when he defiled his father's marriage bed, his rights as firstborn were given to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel, so he could not be listed in the genealogical record in accordance with his birthright. So Moses feared the tribe would die out. Uh, Deuteronomy 33.6 says, Let Reuben live and not die, nor his people be few. So throughout the history of Israel, there would not be any prophet, judge, military leader, or important person from the tribe of Reuben. So this prophecy was fulfilled. Verses 5-7, through seven, Simeon and Levi. Like Reuben's sin was not forgotten, neither was the sin of Simeon and Levi. 
and this recalls their violent and far-reaching response to the rape of their sister Dinah in Genesis chapter 34. So because they were united in that event, they are judged together. Simeon and Levi are brothers, their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter into their council, let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger, so fierce, and their fury, so cruel. So just as Jacob wanted to distance himself from their actions at the time, so now. He didn't curse them, but their anger. So we need to separate the sinner from the sin. Then he adds the consequence. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. And this was prophetic, since the tribe of Simeon became the smallest tribe in the second census of Moses, and was left out of the blessing by Moses in Deuteronomy 33.8, and later shared territory with Judah. Um, it says, uh, The second lot came out for the tribe of Simeon according to its clans. Their inheritance lay within the territory of Judah. So they didn't receive their own land, but were absorbed into the lands of the other tribes. So the tribe of Levi was scattered throughout the nation because the Levites received towns within every other tribe's territory because of their loyalty to God. So because they were the priestly tribe and because of the cities of refuge. And in this way, neither Simeon nor Levi possessed their own region in the promised land. So this prophecy was fulfilled as well. Verses 8 to 12, Judah. As Judah hears the blessing given to the first three brothers, he must have worried. If it was based on character and actions of long ago, surely he would hear something similar. After all, it was Judah who suggested they sell Joseph for profit, rather than merely killing him. It was Judah who visited a prostitute and then showed no mercy to Tamar. But such is the grace of God. It is this unlikely brother, not Reuben the eldest, or Joseph the virtuous, but Judah the scoundrel, who receives the preeminence among his brothers. So Israel plays on the meaning of his name, praise, and says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. So this points to military victories because the conqueror would often demonstrate their defeat of the vanquished king by placing a hand or foot on their neck. And as we progress through the rest of the Pentateuch and the book of Joshua, you'll see the tribe of Judah leading the battles. Then he associates Judah as having the strength of a young lion and as entrenched as an old lion. He is intimidating. And this is where the phrase, the Lion of Judah, comes from, and will be applied to Jesus, who is from the tribe of Judah. Therefore, the character of Aslan as a lion in the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis is fitting. To his enemies, he is terrifying. To believers, they are told, he is not a tame lion, he is not safe, but he is good. So the lion is known as the king of the jungle, and lions are seen on coats of arms as representative of royalty. He says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Judah's line produced kings like David, Solomon, and many others over 640 years, but the promise relates to the ultimate king, called Shiloh in other versions, or Messiah. Jesus is that King of Israel to whom the nations would submit in obedience. And this points to the worldwide gospel, and this prophecy was fulfilled as well. 
So images of prosperity are described. He can tether his donkey to a choice vine to eat because there is such abundance. Wine it will be as plentiful as water and everyone will be healthy. Verse 13, uh, Zebulun. So although Zebulun's territory did not border the sea, it benefited from the trade route that came from there. Verses 14 and 15, Issachar. The tribe was industrious and hardy and lived up to the meaning of the name of their patriarch, man of wages. First Chronicles 12.32 describes them this way. From Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do, 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. So the reason they're willing to work hard is because they see the land of promise is pleasant. When he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor. Likewise, we should look with the eye of faith to our heavenly promised land and be willing to labor. Verses 16 to 18, Dan. Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. The name Dan meant judge, but it was not all good. Dan will be a snake by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider tumbles backward. So the image of a snake is never in a positive light in scripture. So this tribe would be known for its religious infidelity and immorality. One of the golden calves that Jeroboam would make for the nation to worship would be located at Dan. And this led the northern ten tribes into idolatry. The tribe of Dan is also abandoned their original allotment of land and migrated north. Then it became known as the northernmost part of Israel, so that people would say from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. So Jacob longed for deliverance to come to Dan. In this life we will likely be disappointed by people, but our hope is in God and his salvation. Verse 16, Gad. So this tribe is described as valiant fighters. They were such because they ended up settling on the east side of the Jordan, where they were often exposed to invasions. Verse 20, Asher. The description of Asher's blessing were the result of its occupation of an agriculturally rich region north of Mount Carmel. Verse 21, Naphtali. So this tribe is described as agile, taken to refer to military prowess. And this is reflected in their military leaders, Barak and Deborah, who were from this tribe. Verses 22 to 26, Joseph. The large positive blessing on Joseph is applicable to his sons. It is both history and prophecy. It describes fruitfulness, which is a play on the meaning of Ephraim, which is fruitful. This vine is near water and spreads out over a wall. This is in contrast to the hostility and conflict described in verse 23. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility. So this is a biography of Joseph's hard life and his suffering at the hands of his brothers, then Potiphar's wife, then languishing in prison. And in spite of it, his faith remained strong. But his bow remained steady, his strong arms stayed limber. So the reason he persevered is because God preserved him. There are many names and descriptions of God used, more than for any other son, reflecting on Joseph's faith being greater than that of his brothers. Because of the hand of the Mighty One of Jacob, because of the Shepherd, the Rock of Israel, because of your Father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty who blesses you. 
So this reminds us of the early descriptions of Joseph, even in the midst of his trials and imprisonment, we were told many times that the Lord was with him, and that made all the difference. Likewise, any strength we have to withstand temptation comes from God. Joseph understood the sovereignty of God no matter what happened in his life, and God honored that, and now he and his descendants would receive abundant blessing. The prophet Samuel was from the tribe of Ephraim, and, and the judge Gideon was from Manasseh. So this prophecy was fulfilled as well. He adds, let all, the rest, let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. So this reflects his status in his father's eyes, even before he was made a ruler in Egypt. Verse 27, Benjamin. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey. In the evening he divides the plunder. Although we're not told why Benjamin is given such a negative blessing, it is nevertheless true of his tribe. Jacob was speaking by prophecy, not by natural feelings of affection towards his son. So this tribe had a warlike nature as evidenced in Judges chapters 9 and 19 and 20. Verse 28, Summary Statement So all these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. So this is the first reference to the phrase, the twelve tribes of Israel in scripture. Verses 29 to 32, Funeral Blessings. The blessings completed, there is one more instruction to give, what to do with his body after he's gone. I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. There Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were buried. There Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. So this real estate transaction is recorded in chapter 23. And he gives uh, specific instructions, although they would remember where the family burial plot was located. He reminds them it was purchased legally by Abraham from the Hittites, who were descended from a man named Heth. He wants to be brought back to Canaan because he knows the promises of God are tied to that land, not Egypt where he, was, where he has been living. And burial shows great respect for the body. That family cave was where Abraham and Sarah were buried, Isaac and Rebekah, and now Jacob would be buried alongside his first wife, Leah. It may have comforted Leah's sons to see him finally acknowledge his second favorite wife. It's estimated this occurred around the year 1858 BC. Verse 33, the death of Jacob. As George Whitfield said, we are immortal until our work is done. It truly is a blessing to be able to say all you need to say before you die and to be alert enough to say it at the end. As an oncology nurse, I can tell you it is rare. Although there is a strange phenomenon that sometimes happens when a person will be almost comatose and then will rally and be alert. The family often mistakes this for an improvement in their health. We try to tell them gently that their underlying illness has not gone away, but this sometimes happens so that they should take the opportunity to speak with them and say what they need to say. And then the person will fade away again and die. I've seen it many times. 
So the, de the description of Jacob's death is interesting. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Matthew Henry says, Let this make believers willing to die. It is but going to bed. They are weary, and it is time that they were in their beds. Why should not they go willingly when their father calls them? Scarlet threads. So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? Judah would be praised by his brothers. Jesus will be praised by the whole earth. Judah is blessed to be the tribe through whom kings would come, culminating with the Messiah himself. David, Solomon, and others were from the tribe of Judah. Jesus would come through the tribe of Judah. Judah is described as a lion. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Knowing the promised offspring of the woman would come through his family in the future gave Jacob comfort in his death. We look back on the promise fulfilled in Jesus and knowing God always keeps his promises gives us comfort in death because he will come again. The blessings ascribed to Judah of health and wine are given to us in Christ, the true vine, as we abide in him. His father prophesied Judah's foot would be on the necks of his enemies. God the Father will put all his all enemies under Jesus' feet. God would ascribe the borders of the land given to the tribes. Zebulun would be by the sea, so they would be a haven for ships. Jesus is our haven of safety from God's wrath. God appoints the length of our days, of our lives, and the boundaries of our lands. When Issachar sees how good and pleasant is his resting place, he is willing to work hard, even as a slave. Likewise, we should look with the eye of faith to our heavenly promised land and be willing to labor and be Christ's willing slaves. Jacob said, I look for your deliverance, Lord. They had to wait hundreds of years until the Savior came. We must also wait patiently for our deliverance full deliverance. The tribe of Gad were valiant fighters. The Christian life is seen as a conflict. The weapons of our warfare are not weapons of the world, and we are soldiers, in the church militant, and we are to don the armor of God, knowing the victory is sure. Both Joseph and Jesus suffered uh, greatly, yet were faithful to the end because God was with them. Joseph was called a prince among his brothers, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Benjamin's tribe was described as a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey, in the evening he divides the plunder. We see this ravenous nature in Judges 19 and 20 when they kidnap women to be their wives. But the Apostle Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin, and in the morning of his life he persecuted the church, while in the evening of his life he divided the plunder of the gospel. So they were the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus chose twelve disciples, yet believers throughout all ages are called the Israel of God, united because of Christ. Jacob wanted to rest in the promised land of Canaan. Jesus went to paradise when he died. We long for our rest in the promised land, heaven, of which Canaan is a type. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Genesis chapter 50. May God bless the study of his word.